You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. and thank you for listening to the second episode of the Saturday edition of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. It's Friday the 30th of July and my name's Charlotte Greenway. Haven't we seen some fantastic racing at Goodwood this week and some lovely stories to go along with it? I think for me, the moment of the week was seeing Lady Bothorpe finally bag her first Group 1 success in the Nassau Stakes on Thursday. And Nick caught up with her owner, Emma Banks, after her win. Congratulations, Emma Banks, are you anywhere near Earth yet? Oh my God, just about, just about. But I'm, I'm sort of fluttering around in the stratosphere and I will probably be there for quite some time. So today I was watching on from my, my hotel room, watching ITV's coverage, and there was a shot of you right after the race. And you looked, I thought, remarkably composed. Joy, joyous, but composed. Yeah. Do you know what? Today felt like vindication. I think the lockinge was the day when she came second where it was just sheer thrill and overwhelmed excitement and joy that she showed how brilliant she was. And then we've had two runs that have been frustrating, to say the least, where I think she's, you know, whatever, things have happened that haven't gone her way and she hasn't won. And so while I was really, really nervous and you start listening to all the pundits and there's this person and that person and there's all, oh, does she do this and can she do that? So when she won, it was amazing, but it was just like, phew. And so similar to last week, I'm going to take you through some of the interviews which Nick's carried out this week relevant to Saturday's runners, not only at Goodwood, but also at Saratoga. Trainer Ray Feckett got his Goodwood week off to a flyer with two stakes winners on day one. And when Nick caught up with him on Wednesday, he asked him about his filly Alba Flora's chances on Saturday. The one horse I did I did have a look at toward the back end of the week on Saturday was Alba Flora in the Lily Langtree. Because if you talk about a horse who's sort of on the cusp of maybe being a, a group one horse at some point, might it be her? Yeah, I think... I think that against her own sex, I think we, there, are, there is a case to be made for that. I think that Lily Langtree is, is, uh, will suit her really well. She's in good shape. I think the other race that will suit her really well in the autumn is the um, champion fillies and mares. Um, I think uh, we'll end up working back from there at some point. But um, yeah, I'm keen to run on Friday, on Saturday, yes. I mean, she was very, very impressive at Ascot earlier in the season. I know it was only in a listed race, but I thought, wow. And evidently you did as well, because you stuck her in the Coronation Cup. Mm. Yeah, I thought, she, I thought she was made for Epsom. I thought she'd wheel around there. The opposite happened. And then uh, she showed up in a really strong, hard work, didn't she? So, um, yeah, back against her own sex, I think we can, we can uh, be more competitive, certainly. Trainer Charlie Fellows went close earlier on in the week with a Nassus in the Oak Tree Stakes, and he'll be hoping that one of his two runners in tomorrow's Stewards Cup can go one better. And Nick caught up with him on Wednesday. 
on Saturday, the Stewards Cup runners. Tell me a little bit about uh, Edge to Love because it's his first run for you. How long has he been in the yard? So we haven't had him that long. Um, we've had him about three weeks or so. Um, he is nice, nice big horse, good looking. He's obviously coming in here um, in fantastic form. He's won his last two. Um, all of his best form is on soft ground. In fact, I think had it been rattling quick ground, we probably wouldn't have run. But the ground has very much come in his favour. Um, he came over here pretty fit, so I haven't done much with him. He seems like a pretty straightforward character. I'm still learning about him. Uh, David Egan is going to ride him, which will help big time because David knows him and has won on him the last twice. Uh, and just little things. He's not very good in the stalls, so he has to go in last. So things like that, having David on side um, will be a big, big plus. So he's great. He's going to have a little blow tomorrow, but I really haven't had to do... You know, he's a sprinter and he's fit, so I haven't had to do much with him at all. Um, Keeper Chiefs is the opposite. I've known him... Um, I know him like the back of my hand. He has been a bit unlucky, really, recently. Um, the problem is, Charlie, he, he knows you like the back of his hand as well. <laughs> he, does, he does. He does. And he's, yeah, he's a gem. I love him to bits. The Yard love him to bits. He's the nicest character. Yeah, he's extremely talented. I think he needs decent ground. Um, but, I, you know, I... I there's not much rain forecast between now and then. I'm guessing we're probably going to be racing on pretty nice ground come uh, Saturday. I'd say it'll be drying out to, you know, probably good in places, maybe even better than that. Um, and that would be perfect for him. He doesn't want it really soft, and he's been unlucky the last twice. It's absolutely hosed it down um, both times he's run, and he, and he doesn't like that. It just takes out his finishing kick. Um, he ran great in the in the Wokium to finish fourth, but it, but but on better ground, he's he's a much better horse. So the the drier it gets, the better. Um, it's just whether Goodwood, yeah, he loves being held up, and Goodwood maybe not quite such a hold up track as as Asker is, but um, big field and he he loves it. Charlie, thanks so much for talking to me. No problem at all, Nick. Thanks a lot. Thanks, mate. You're a star. And so moving on to America, on Saturday night, we will see the return of impressive Belmont Stakes winner Essential Quality at Saratoga in the Jim Dandy Stakes. And so Nick gave his trainer Brad Cox a call on Friday morning to find out what his stable star has been up to since his last win. Well, we gave him about three weeks after the Belmont. We're shipping back to Churchill following the Belmont. We gave him about three weeks and put a nice, easy work into it to him and followed it up with, with a good 5 eights. And then he was on his way to Saratoga after that. So he's had three works here at Saratoga. Um, first one, an easy one. His last two have been good moves, uh, 5 eights and um, a minute change and 101. And, uh, you know, the, he's really uh, settled in well at Saratoga. I think he has really, really taken to the weather here, uh, breath of fresh air. Um, and I really like the way he's doing, uh, mentally, physically. And, uh, you know, I'm ho- ho- hopeful he-, he can run one of his big races on Saturday that'll set him up, propelling forward to the Traverse. You mentioned the weather. That's interesting because Saratoga can be desperately humid. Not not so this time? I mean, you know, it has its days. But, you know, we're norm- normally back home in Kentucky where we would normally be this time of year uh, at Churchill with the turf renovation. We had to evacuate. Um, it's definitely better than Kentucky this time of year. We, we do get breaks, um, and you're right, it, it can be humid, but uh, right now it, it's, it's been uh, very pleasant here over the last few weeks. 
Yeah, there's quite a lot of me that wishes I was there. How do you see the race? All things being equal, he he should win, but we know that the Spa has a, a habit of, of chucking up weird results. Yeah, you know, um, I think there's a, a couple horses, you know, two, three horses could be in front of them going into the first turn. Um, you know, obviously, once the gate comes up and everything's up to Louie in regards to where he places him, and, and you know, he's running six out of his seven starts and has had a tremendous amount of success on him. So, you know, I think Louie's going to work out a good trip. I like the post five of six. I think some, you know, uh, a good spot he can, um, you know, track a few tuck in, save some ground going in the first turn and tip out going in the first turn I'm sorry, the second turn and then make his move, but uh, Horse is doing well and uh, I think he's set up for a big effort uh, And when he came back from, from the Belmont, I mean, was he was he quite sprightly for a horse who'd had a hard race or did you know that he'd had a hard race? You know, I, I think, um, you know, it's kind of similar to the Derby, I think, you know it maybe took a little bit out of him, but after after a couple of days of not leaving the shed row, just kind of walking around the shed row and giving him some easy days, you know, he definitely let you know he's ready to go back to work and do something. He's a high-energy horse uh, that likes to train, and once we resumed training, you know, he, he really came around in good order and, and uh, um, you know, really started to start picking it up. You can kind of watch him, and they, they'll tell you, you know, uh, if they're ready to do more, and he was. And his second work post-Belmont was really, really good, and that was the one we, we, we left Churchill after that one and brought him up here to Saratoga, and he seemed to really move forward mentally and physically. And then you'd have uh, four weeks to the Travers, which I know is an absolutely key target for you. Then a, a biggish gap to the Breeders' Cup Classic. Would you run him in between times if all went well? You know, I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, our goal this summer is the Travers. We'll get through that, and, you know, we'll just kind of see how long we have between the Travers and the Breeders' Cup and what presents itself. And, you know, first and foremost, just kind of watch him and see where we are. And how's Mandaloon doing? Very well, very, very well. Um, he came out of the half, so I thought, you know, he took something out of him a little, you know, in regards to his weight, I thought, you know, shipping up to Saratoga, but it's been about, uh, where are we, we're coming in on two weeks post-Haskell, and he's really, really taking shape. Very happy with how he looks. Um, probably going to bring him next Saturday. Um, and give him another, you know, seven, eight days of training and then breathe him and, uh, you know, see where we are with him. We'll make a hope that maybe have a decision next week on where we're going, what we're planning, and go from there. What are, What are your options? I mean, I suppose for those sort of horses, the options make themselves, but what would you be choosing between? The, the right now, it, it, would, it would be... Uh, PA Derby, I think, are the, the most logical spots. We'll sit down with Garrett over and uh, come up with a game plan next week, I think. Maybe breeze them one time and then come up with a game plan and see where we are. Finally, as part of the Weatherby segment on Tuesday's episode, Nick spoke to John Ferguson, former CEO of Godolphin, about his fears for the future of European horse racing. I look forward and I, I worry about the future as much as I enjoy looking at the past. What are you most worried about, John? I think I think when you look at world bloodstock, um, you now look at you look at the United States, obviously, and the United States has always been a powerhouse, and that's where so much of this bloodstock came from. But when you look at it and you analyse what's happening there, they're currently running on 1.14 billion dollars worth of prize money for 19,000 folds. So we, within, including England and Ireland, we're at about 15% of that level. So the prize money uh, difference is massive. And then you look at what's happening. And since 2019, online sports betting has been legalized in America. 
which means that it's no longer exclusive to Las Vegas. And 10 states have now got online sports betting. And during COVID, wagering on online uh, platforms increased by 33% on horse racing. And from June 2019 to June 2021, there was an increase of 23%. So post-COVID, it's still there and it's still operating. So this is going to have a massive effect on bloodstock in America and bloodstock in the UK because that prize money level will go from 1 billion to 2 billion. And that directly goes back into prize money, 8 to 12% on course and 2.5% off course. So American owners, racehorse owners, are going to have very, very large pockets of cash, uh, which they won on the race course, and they will be reinvesting in our very best bloodstock. And we've seen over the last two years, 150 yearlings go from Newmarket and Goffs to, to race directly in America. And imagining that doubles, we'll be losing a huge amount of bloodstock to America. And of course, they'll be coming in buying our very best horses, not the Group 1 horses owned by those key people who keep our racing at the top of the tree, but the Group 2 horses, the Group 3 horses, the listed horses, the big handicappers. I can see them going to America and, and obviously on to Australia, and Saudi Arabia, the Middle East and everywhere else. And I just worry in many ways um, that we will become a nursery for these other international powerhouses in the same way that New Zealand is a nursery to Australia. And that would be a pity. It, it would be a shame. You talk about the, the key players in the sport who will always sustain it, always underpin it. Is that guaranteed, do you think? Is it guaranteed that Godolphin, for whom you worked for so many years, and, and Coolmore, is it guaranteed that they will continue in perpetuity at the same level of investment that they have been for the last three or four decades? Well, I think, I mean, that's a very good question, Nick, and at the end of the day, you'll have to ask them, but I think if you take a step back and you imagine yourself in their shoes, if you look at Coolmore, they have a very, very successful operation in Australia, as do Godolphin, a supremely successful operation in Australia. Um, Judmont have very successful operations in America. Um, Prince Sheikh Fahad from Qatar has, 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 has been very successful in the United States. So I think everybody takes a step back and everybody looks at the overall gambit. And when you look at Australia now, there are $900 million in prize money for a pool of 13,000 folds. And and uh, one interesting thing I always, always not amuses me, but it's a, it's a, it's a fact. Oshorse released something last week to say there are 52 races in Australia worth a million dollars, 29 in America and seven in Europe. It rather tells the story. Quite a shocking perspective, I thought, there from John Ferguson. And if you want to listen to the full episode, you can find it in episode 277. So that's it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Nick will be back with you as usual on Monday morning, and I hope you have a great weekend. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.